0: Hey, everyone. We'd normally have a brand new episode for you lined up right now in this time slot. But unfortunately, Mike is under the weather this week and I am on vacation. So we are going to be re-releasing an older episode. The episode is entitled HTML, CSS, and JS. It's episode 139. That was done, I believe, in April of 2021. So a little over a year ago now. Uh, we got a lot of good feedback about that episode, a lot of good download numbers. So I hope that anyone that missed that episode can get some great value from it now because it'll be playing after my little speech here. Um, otherwise, Uh, We will be back. Of course, we are working on new episodes, uh, just a weird scheduling conflict um, once Mike gets better and once I get back to work. So please uh, enjoy this re-release and um, we'll be back hopefully next week with a brand new episode.
1: When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran.
0: That's right, everybody. We are back. This is episode 139 HTML, CSS, JS. Straight to the point with that one. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week we'll be going back to basics and giving an overview of those languages, HTML, CSS, and JS. Now, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go and check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And now, this is a mic heavy episode but we have some debates planned and some interesting points to bring up so if you want to join in just want to put this in put this in the forefront here if you have uh, anything to add to the debate and you'll know the debate in a minute or when in, in the show not in literally a minute but if you have anything to add to the debate you know feel free to hit us up on the social media please keep it civil because this is a I mean, this is a technical debate. <laughs> We're not debating anything too serious here. So uh, there may be some debates and some uh, things that you disagree with or agree with, and feel free to hit us up on the
2: socials. So, Mike, please, sir, take us into the basics. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the the reason I kind of wanted to talk about this is I feel like we've been doing a lot of talk about uh, – a lot of newer technologies, like stuff built on top of JavaScript or whatever, or frameworks for CSS, like Tailwind and all that. And we haven't kind of gone back in a while and talked about something that's kind of really important to our theory of educating yourself, which is learning the big three, uh, like HTML, CSS and JavaScript uh, to then further your career and be able to pick up all the other stuff a lot easier. And I just wanted to have an episode where we kind of go back and discuss just like, what is HTML? What, what Like, when is it used? What is it used for? What is CSS? When is it used? What is it used for? And the same thing with JavaScript. And in that order specifically as well, because a few episodes ago, we talked about like, uh, what's how is it best to learn? And there's a reason why like HTML first, CSS second, and JavaScript third. It's because of that like little theory that uh, Killian, I think, brought up before where learning something, learning the tool with the least complexity that can do the job instead of learning the tool with the most complexity that can also do that job, but with a lot more overhead. So like if you're doing stuff in JavaScript that can be done in HTML, it doesn't really make sense to do that because JavaScript usually will perform worse, usually isn't read the same with other stuff like accessibility tooling and stuff like that. So it's better to use the tools that were designed for the thing that you're doing Uh, and learn that way so that you get the best practices right away rather than kind of the opposite. And I say this, but like for myself, I'm, I was more well-versed in JavaScript than I was in HTML starting out. So now I'm kind of going back and learning HTML a little bit better, learning CSS a little bit better to bring myself up to the same standards that I'm going to be talking about here with you. Um, So with that, I think we'll just jump right into HTML. So the structure of your web page will be created with html that's the point of html it's to create the structure of your web page the page semantics should be driven from html elements and what do i mean by page semantics i mean like, like the the logical structure the logical components on the page like forms buttons headings articles videos images lists navigation all that kind of stuff should be very clearly identified by the HTML elements that represent them. So like when I say form, there's actual form HTML elements, like input elements, checkbox elements, all that. They're already there for you. They already have some basic functionality there for you already out of the box. Just use them when you need to use a form. Button, same thing. Like when you have a button and a button, Here, here's one question I have for for you, Matt, right off the bat. Uh, let's say you have a link, right? And that's an href and a button when are like do you ever use buttons for links or is are you always using an a tag if there's a link to like a separate section on a site
0: uh right off the top of my head every situation is different but in general i usually do an a tag and buttons in forms specifically right that's just what i reach for now I, i know i could do something different but that's just what i do
2: I think that's the right way to do it. So that, that's why I kind of wanted to bring it up is like there are like a button can definitely send you to another page, right? Like a button tag, you can give it the functionality of an href, 100%, 100% mm. doable. But a, a, like a, a, an anchor tag already has that bu- functionality built in. You don't have to do anything special with it. Like you don't have to, you know, link it with JavaScript. You don't have to do a programmatic navigation with an A tag. So when it's just a link, you got to use just an A tag. When it's a a button is like you're submitting a form, you're doing some sort of functionality like popping up a, mo- a module, a modal, you're uh, you know um, reconf- like manipulating some data and outputting some sort of con- con- conclusion. Those things are buttons. So that's what I mean by the semantics. So like when you're when you're designing the logic of your page, use the proper HTML tags that fit with the logic. Like the, like I get like I said, there's like the headings tag. Headings is another big one as, as well, actually, something that I've noticed that I've struggled, not struggled with, but didn't even know about until like a few weeks ago, even every single HTML page should only have one H1 tag to represent its actual, like, this is what this uh, HTML page is about. Like if this, if the, if the HTML page is a contact us form, then the H1 tag would be the contact us. Right. So that when a screen reader is reading it or when an SEO uh, engine, like a search engine crawler is reading it, it knows exactly what that page is about right away. If you have multiple H1 tags on a page, right, then it can kind of muddy the waters for the crawlers and for the accessibility readers, screen readers. Now, there are some ex- like, um, there are some like exceptions to that rule. I think if you have a single page, website where you have, you know, the contact us form, the about us page and everything all on the same page. I believe and don't quote me on this is something that I'm still trying to figure out. And if if someone has an answer for this, let me know. I believe each one of those sections can be an H1 tag, but usually it's one H1 tag per page. And then like up to, you know, four, maybe six H2 tags, depending on each section. So each section should have its own H2 tag. And you shouldn't have like, you know, and then after, after that, you kind of go down to H3 and H4 and H5 as you do, as you break it up. But they're not, H. the H tags aren't really designed to be the styling of the thing. It's actually designed to be the semantics of the page, if that makes sense. So. With that, there's a there's obviously a bunch of other tags like videos, images, lists, navigation, all that kind of stuff. Like there's 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 literally way more than that. Even uh, stuff like I think articles and sections and stuff like that. Like there's so much that I I've never even used. Um, but apparently, like again, you're, using them will make it a lot easier for accessibility tools and search engine routers to understand what your what your page is about right off the bat without even having to, to like you know guess what this paragraph is about and without having to guess what like the whole concept of your website is about it can just use your semantic your html semantics to have a good a good idea right off the bat
0: well here's here's the thing too is so i i've been i've been uh a few weeks ago like i kind of just dabble in like research at night type of thing and like i'll research different things that i'm interested in that like can't be on the forefront of what i'm doing and like just due to time and so i just started sort of dabbling in Because I've mentioned this a thousand times that I'm like a jack of all trades. I have to jump around so much that I can never master or even really get good at a lot of different things. Because I'm just running around being multiple hats in the company. And um, I started like looking up more. um, I don't know what I was searching for at this point. I think it was like more simplistic ways to do things. More proper ways, I suppose, to do things. Because one of the things that Mike and I are looking at getting into is just sort of getting a little bit of uh, passive income going from possibly selling templates down the road or something like that. And so I was like, okay, like, you know, I go out and I build out a I build a customer's website out, whether it's with a template or not, depending on what their budget is and whatever. Um, I build it out, I get it to them, they're happy with it, and then that's it. But the thing is, is that I'm never as confident in what I build if the person wants fully custom, I'm not confident in it enough to say, hey, you know what? I could bundle this up and sell this as a template. I always feel as though the templates are better put together than what I put together. Now, that is and isn't true, I'm sure there's some things that the template guys are doing cuz they're used to building templates but there's probably some stuff that I'm doing better so I'm probably some stuff they're doing better because even when you download templates there's issues in them now the reason why I even mention all this is it kind of led me down the rabbit hole of youtube as 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 searching things do where a lot of people were talking about and we'll get into this throughout the episode talking about boiling things down to their most simplistic but also um the most, I suppose, direct and paraphrasing way to do it. And so that is where the different HTML tags kind of come in you can do almost anything you want with a div. You can do divs here and nested divs and divs over there and divs here. And there. And sometimes you get pulled in, in a direction, like if you need to do uh, forms and stuff like that, like you need to do specific tags within the forms and that type of thing. But in general, for visual elements on the screen, you really can you know nest a thousand divs into one another and stuff like this. And that, what I'm learning is, and I got, it wasn't like I was doing that <laughs> for the most part. I was. Um, you you were but um the thing is is that like I would reach for a div first and now I'm reaching for the respective tag first so the thing is is that like I'm learning um I'm learning that like less is more and you should just boil it down to boil it down so that your HTML again I'm paraphrasing these videos because there were several par- basically uh boil it down to be the most simplistic. Uh, layout, because that's what the HTML is for, the most simplistic layout, so that I can look at it and say, oh, this is a div. Fair enough. This is a div. It's a content block. Inside of the div has a video. Like, instead of me being like, what's this link here? And like, try to figure out what the hell's going on. Cause I like hacked a div to do this and that with CSS and everything else. I can just, it's more simplistic to have like, oh, here's my nav tags. Clearly, this is my nav bar. Stuff like that. And whereas a lot of the time I was using the correct tags. A lot of the time, you know, I wasn't. And so I understand like, oh, there's, you know, there's function behind these things and it helps accessibility. So why wouldn't you do this? This is, but this comes back to that thing that we had a talk with. I think it was Killian actually, where, you know, when you're a person that's learning right off the bat, you can't be, you can't have like the book thrown at you figuratively. You can't be like hitting the HTML, the CSS, the JS, the accessibility, the responsive there's no way. And so, and so like, because it's, because something like accessibility, something like proper formatting, something like using the proper tags comes with time, comes with skill, comes with practice. And there's no way you're going to be able to do all that because the instant you learn the power of a div, you're probably going to be like be like uh, us and just rip in there with a the div. Now, I've been, like I said, using that less and less and trying to use more uh, simplistic systems or more recently, I've been using a fair bit of templates, which handle that for me. Um, but the thing is, is like you need to keep in mind that HTML, where it, it is the layout, where, there, where it is, I would say, the most simplistic of these three or one of the most more simplistic things. um, it's still something that needs to be considered for accessibility, but also for readability for you going back to the code for other team members going back to the code. You really just need to boil it down so that you're not being like div class navbar, which I've done a million times. You need to start using things like the proper navbar tags. And that way, that way it helps, like, as, like Mike said, the accessibility, but it also helps you. And I'm, I'm just reiterating at this point, but it also helps you if you're going back. You're not like control F. Where's the navbar class? Like you know where the nav is. And if you have an IDE that's set up, you know, to read HTML, you can collapse your nav bar probably to be like, oh, I don't need to touch my nav bar. I'm just trying to fix this content block. And you can just collapse the nav bar, you know, quickly visually, and you can see exactly where it is. But if you have a class that's like, you know, div class navbar, sure, it might be easy enough to find. But what happens when when someone doesn't name it that what if someone names it nav what if someone names it bar what if someone names it navigation in the class name right it's up to them then you have a problem where you're like where the hell is the nav bar that can happen that can get buried in complex projects and so really boiling it down to the most simplistic and most direct solution is oftentimes the best for pretty much everything
2: yep keep it simple stupid that's pretty much. The, yeah, pretty that's much. The, that's the, that's the attitude. And I think like f- for us, when we were starting out, we didn't have that mindset of like, let's learn the semantics of HTML. So that's why we kind of went down the rabbit hole of a div within a div within a div, and then a div here and a div here. And like maybe an H1 tag here and there and stuff like that. We were very sporadic with our semantic HTML use. There was a couple reasons for that. And I'll like, I was going to touch, touch on this on the CSS side, but the great thing about being in web development now is that uh, Internet Explorer 11 is being phased out, which means that stuff like CSS Grid and Flexbox fully supported everywhere, right? So when you're writing HTML now, you don't need those container divs anymore, like we did, like you did before with like all the you know display block centering and all that. Like you needed a lot of container divs to achieve that. At least starting out. Like eventually you got really good at it and you can whittle it now. But that was the that was the idea, especially with Bootstrap. But Nowadays, you can write a page that's just semantic HTML without like almost any divs at all, because of the fact that you can just put it in a grid, put like make sure that you know this is a container, this is that, this is that, and just put it in 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 a CSS grid and lay it out however the heck you want, right from the CSS, and change it up on mobile view and all that. So it, it it provides so much flexibility and so much clear, clean HTML code that it's easier in my opinion if you're starting out right now or if you're going back to learn a little bit more basics learn the semantic html learning the semantics html will make it easier for you to go down and learn all the other stuff and make your pages a lot easier rather than going through the div hell that we kind of went through um and i'm still like kind of in it i'm again i'm i'm the same as matt i'm trying to get out of it right now going back to the basics that's why we're doing this episode but yeah i was definitely a uh a diver, or whatever you want to call the people that just use <laughs> divs for everything, right? <laughs> and uh, is there
0: a name? Like I was going to say, is there like is I somebody was trying like- to
2: find one? But I'm trying to coin one right now as diver. I guess I was a diver, and and now I'm trying to get out of that that way because going back to it, like the cleaner the code that you have, let's let's remove accessibility from like even even your mind because, like Matt said, it's really hard to like focus on a million different things at once. If you create this like clean semantic code, you don't even have to worry about accessibility for the most part, at least when you're starting out, because it handles it for you. And not only that, it'll handle this SEO, some of the SEO stuff for you and maintainability. If you come back to the code base two years later, you'll know exactly what that page is about. Or if you give that code base to someone else, they know exactly what it's about. Like or at least templating.
0: like get a good feeling. Like the main thing is the feeling, right? Because if they can't find the damn nav bar, now you got a problem. Now right. it's like, where the fuck is this nav bar? You know, there's three types of nav bar on this site for the different responsivities. Where the hell is this thing? You know, that's just wasted time. And Absolutely. and the thing, and, and the reason why I just, I like hopped in there is because some of these pages, like even though some people will say, quote unquote, that's just HTML. Some of these pages can get pretty damn uh, complex in layout. Like there's a lot in these pages. Things can get buried easily. And really like just at least getting the idea of where to look is like super important because because a lot of these sites will sit idle for a long time a lot of these sites will will not be maintained for a long time or updated like the html files themselves and when you do have to go in there i mean you're going to be kind of struggling trying to get into an old code base anyway the really the big the big target is don't try to keep it i guess what i'm trying to say is is that Don't try to fight complexity to the point where you're literally, you're literally removing uh, features. Sometimes files, whatever they are, HTML, CSS, JS will become complex. Just fight needless complexity is what I guess I'm trying to say, because getting what you're really trying to do is get like the original, the, the initial vibe. Like I open the file, I like poke around a little bit and I kind of know what's going on, but we all know that sometimes you'll, let's say you have to dive into like a WordPress plugin and a WordPress plugin or like a really bizarre WordPress issue and you're like bouncing around like where the hell like even just visually without the code like where the hell is this menu like where do I change this like there's I've changed it here but that didn't do it is it is it in the settings like where and and you're just like where the hell do I change this and that's the same mentality that you have with something like HTML and stuff like that so sometimes the complexity is needed if the complexity is needed in features but Try not to just add complexity to something like a button for no reason. Absolutely,
2: exactly. So th- that that's kind of it for HTML. I think like uh, again, main main points are it's the semantics. So you got the logic of your page layout, and just so that accessibility, SEO, and ex- extent, uh, maintainability in the future. Learning the basics. The semantics of it first will give you a better idea of then going into the next part, which is the CSS. And CSS is used to take that structure that you just created with HTML and style it, make it look good, and make it functional functional across different screen su- uh, sizes and devices. Right. I already mentioned that like before, CSS was a little bit more of a chunky tool because of the whole Internet Explorer 11 or you know the older Internet Explorer. Uh, issues where you couldn't use flexbox and you couldn't use grid.
0: <clears throat>
2: Nowadays, in my opinion, CSS has become kind of fun. It's become kind of the thing that like you know you you want to reach for and you want to play around with because there's just so many tools available for you. CSS uh, with flexbox and grid being mainly supported in every single browser, including mobile browsers. It's kind of like mobile layouts are kind of a joke at this point. Centering a div, it used to be kind of a it used to be the joke in web development, like every form or every meme page or whatever you would go to, it'd be like, what's the hardest thing to do in web development, centering a div, et cetera, et cetera. And and like for good reason, there was like clear fixes, there was floats, there was like all this crap just to center a div uh, in margin auto, like centering a div with the block method, although you could get good at it at some point, it was still this weird like conditional thing where like sometimes you do an a margin auto sometimes you do a mar- margin zero auto sometimes you would do a clear fix here a clear fix there like it was just such a weird situation that it was difficult and i don't know how many times i asked you matt like this isn't centering can you please help me here because like you were you were <laughs> better at css than me Probably well that's the are. thing
0: too is like mm-hmm. i i maybe to a fault i just never use floats i just hate them i i, I will like i shouldn't say never but I rarely use floats because I just hate seeing clear fixes everywhere. Like people are like, hey, like, why isn't this centering all of a sudden? Like, it's still doing this. And then people are like, well, have you done a clear fix? It's like, come on, man. Like, why is there always a freaking clear fix? Like, that'd be like a clear fix to me is like the equivalent of being like, oh, I started my car once. I guess I better get the oil changed every fucking time. Like, come on, man.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or like majiggering the key every single time or something like that. Like just doing something weird little thing that shouldn't be part of the actual process because the clear fix is not, right? Like it's a, literally a fix that you have to do ev- almost every time, but sometimes no. Like th- that's that's the thing that's, that killed that, me. That, That's the thing that's, yeah, that's the thing that gets
0: complex is sometimes a clear fix, like you forget it and it doesn't matter. But then way down the page, all of a sudden, oh my God, I need a clear fix. And, and like, I'm not even an expert in that. I just, I just literally saw that noise and was like, you know what? I'm just going to, and again,
2: possibly to a fault. I'm just not going to use floats as much as I can. Yep. And you you were, you were right to do that for the most part, because like they were a pain to work with. I use them every once in a while and I hated them. But again, once Flexbox came on the table and like everyone supported it, justify content center, align item center, you're done. Like that literally any, anything can be centered with those two lines in the middle of a page or in the middle of a div or in the middle of a container, and you could center horizontally and vertically. That was another whole issue, like centering horizontally or uh, centering vertically was kind of a problem or actually not even kind of a problem. It was a serious problem with the block method. <laughs> yeah, it was a serious problem. Yeah. yeah, it was like you have to use like percents and stuff like that. And I, I like sometimes I would have to actually calculate like in the middle of the image. Sometimes I would have to calculate the middle of the image and center it ba- like based on the percent of the page. It was... I don't know if I was doing it wrong, but I'm pretty sure that that was the right way to do it at that time. Um, It was a disaster. Justify content center, done. Like it's, you are fully finished with centering your object, move on to something else. It's great. Um, But again, like that's the evolution of this stuff. And that's why like learning CSS now is, is a good experience. You lay out your page great with the HTML that we just talked about. Then you go in and you kind of just use the tools that are available for you, like, you know. Uh, like I said, Flexbox and Grid and the CSS, quickly get the layout done, and then you move on to the more complex stuff, right? And the more complex stuff uh, with CSS usually is something like CSS animations. And this is something that also has gotten better over over time um, has required less use of libraries, has required less use of JavaScript, because now you can do a lot of like stuff with keyframes. You can do a lot of stuff with the transitions and keyframe combinations. um, You can do stuff with... uh, selector effects so like if you hover over something tar- like start a keyframe you can do a bunch of things without having to rely solely on JavaScript to even do like complex animations like really nice smooth animations when you're entering like a certain element like a, a certain uh, sp- spot on the page you can do with CSS you can do CSS on load um, and stuff like that there's still things like that you would need to reach for in JavaScript maybe like adding a class or removing a class sometimes. Uh, as simple as that could enable a lot more functionality with uh, animations. but there's just so much that CSS, CSS animations can do. and they are pretty performative. Like uh, especially compared to like the jQuery animations that, were, that I was doing back in the day with like just show hides or uh, fade in fade outs. Um, they were a little bit chunky and like you know they, they sometimes had some stuttering. Nowadays, it's really easy to set that up in CSS have it perform really well across all devices and, uh, not have to even touch JavaScript. Now here, here's, here's a question for you
0: actually, Mike. So like, you know, keyframes and stuff like that, that's great. And I agree, you know, CSS, you can get in there and like really kind of like get the bulk of it done layout. And then you have that polish phase. That's kind of what I want to talk about is that polish phase. So the polish phase, like Mike touched on is the transitions, maybe, Uh, even changing things like, hey, this looks kind of weird, whatever. And there's like, but it's like making it nice. Maybe there's fade-ins, maybe there's fade-outs or, you know, better hover effects, doesn't matter. So I really, I want to ask you kind of a question, Mike. So I have a problem. And this is not just with stuff that I build. This is with just stuff. (laughs) Like other websites uh, that I see, whatever. And this is on phones, like my phones, my computers. I have a couple computers, whatever. I have like terrible performance terrible css animation performance but here's the thing i get it to an extent so if i let's say i load in and a just total simplistic a red circle is going to go from left to right from far left of the screen right to the like that's it that's it so i do keyframes i can do transition i don't care what i, I don't care how you do it i have a major stutter at about 20 percent of that ball going across the screen that circle going across the screen and i have that And that's not just me. Like, that is not just stuff that I'm putting together. That is just, like, animations in general. And you could say, okay, well, your one computer's old. That's great. So you go to a new computer, that's still doing it. Go to my iPad, it's still doing it. You go to this thing, which is my Galaxy, that's still doing it. Now, I don't know. And and, and when you refresh, it's fine. It's sort of like that cache effect, whatever, depending on how the site's set up. So, I don't know. I know that back in the day... Whether it's still valid, I haven't done CSS animations in a while, just haven't needed them. Um, I know that you used to do like the translate 3D and then like 000 to initiate, like get the GPU involved. It would, even though it's like not actually translating anything, it would, it'd be like, oh, 3D. And then you like kind of call in the GPU, um, which is the graphical processing unit graphics card for you, if you don't know, which would then like, you know, help that. But here's the thing in a canvas, I have no problems. If that was just a canvas and it rolls across first time, boom, it works every single time. Now, I don't know whether it's an internet connection thing because, like, obviously, that's one of the commonalities. Whether it's – I was going to say whether it's Edge, but, like, I had it in Chrome too, and now they're both Chromium-based. So, I don't know. Like, what is your – is there something that I'm missing and other people are missing? Because I don't see this on every other site, but I do see it where – Randomly, I fade in or fl- like like flicker, and then what? The reason why I even bring this up is because now that polish phase looks clunky. The thing is, is that something looks clunky without polish, but if the polish looks clunky, it looks worse, in my opinion. So, how do you combat that, or is this just am I am I crazy? Like, am I just is it just been a while and I need to go back
2: to it? Like, <laughs> what's going on here? So it depends, really. Uh, like the reason that those stutters happen on initial load and not on refresh. Indicates to me that there's a lot of stuff loading in the background that's single threaded, right? So when you don't enable the GPU acceleration, the animation is running in the same thread that all the stuff that like your, all your XML, HTTP requests, all your Ajax, like all your requests that are loading, all your images that are downloading, all that is happening at the same time at the same exact second as your transition. So that could cause it. And then when you refresh, everything's from cache. It's a lot faster. So everything's fine, right? That's most likely what's happening. Now, depending on how you've tested it or not tested it, if you just like literally threw HTML and CSS together, one page, no loads, nothing, no scripts, and it's still happening for you on across all devices, then that's a different issue. Um, and that shouldn't really shouldn't be happening as far as I've tested before. Like uh, almost all of my recent animation work that I've done. And it's been like hit or miss, uh, or not hit or miss, but like, uh, the far, like far and few between, but I have done a little bit of it, like fades and, and slides and stuff like that. It's been really smooth. And mostly that's because I'm trying to do as little as possible during the loading stages as I can. So I'm not I'm trying to remove the use of a million libraries, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's what affects a lot of websites. So, like websites that have that initial load spike, will have slower initial animations. Is that something that would explain it for you, or is that do you think it's something else? Well, I just thought I just had a thought when you were talking
0: there that I am using the same web server for all my tests. Now I realize that the web page is effectively being downloaded to my computer but I wonder if that web server is hiccuping. Now, Now, actually, no, because that that's wrong, because I, I'm, I'm, I keep bringing it back to animations that I'm doing, that I'm testing with, but it's happening on other stuff too. Um, a good example would be um, not now, and this is maybe why they changed it, but the old Webflow site. So not one that I built, like literally the Webflow site. It had all these animations and stuff like this to sort of show it off. And as scrolling down on a phone on my... Uh, I don't think I had a tablet at the time, but uh, on my phone, for sure, on my computer, and I had a couple computers. You know, it just was really bad. And sometimes the fans would kick on and stuff like this, and it just seemed to be really particularly bad. Now, I have done a small amount of research into this, because my fades are fine, uh, stuff like that, but it's mostly or entirely, because I, I, like I said, it's been a while, so like this this issue could just be gone now. Um, But I... I have only really noticed it or in, in my memory, I have really noticed it in when I move something. And some people were saying in my research that what's happening is, is the page is trying to calculate if it needs to f- change the flow or if it needs to move stuff around. And even if it doesn't, it still does those calculations to like check. Now I don't know if that's true. I could be a complete idiot to be totally blunt. Uh, you might be listening to this and rolling your eyes being like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. I have not done anything short of fade in and fade out and hover effects for quite a while just due to the fact that I haven't needed them. But again, I don't know. I don't know whether it's just me because the thing is, is that I, I'm i a fan of the, the polished look where you know how when you have like a, an app that's being advertised to you on say something like Instagram, you know how they like a good example is that new birdhouse thing that they've that's that's come out, where it's called like Bird Buddy or some 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 something, and they like, it's like an it's it's on IndieGoGo and it's like a birdhouse that like a bird will land on it. It's a picture. There's a camera there, and you get there's an app that shows up and it'll say like Hey, you have an, you have somebody visiting your bird thing, and you can like take a picture and stuff. Like I'm not gonna get into it. The point of the matter is the app demo they show is like super 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 smooth. And whereas I realize there might be glitches and outages and stuff like this, I would like the actual performance when everything is up to be smooth like that because it's like it's not like i'm initiating a weird motion i'm saying hey move this red circle to left to right and it's just like it's like and goes about 20 percent little like skip frame and then it keeps going
2: yeah it's strange
0: now like i said this has been a long long damn time since i've really tried it it could have been something like because i was also learning back then too so it could have been something i was doing wrong um or what i don't know Obviously, there's limitations to CSS animations to a point like there's a reason why canvas exists. Like you don't want to have like fucking things flying in like a like crazy. Right. Uh, that Uh Like that's fine. Um, You know, do your own testing and figure out what your limits are. But the thing is, is, is I don't know. That was that was always my experience with CSS animations and having been away from them for probably over a year now. I haven't really noticed it, obviously, but I'm just wondering whether I was crazy. <laughs> Maybe I still am. Maybe I still am crazy, but. That was my experience. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just like you were looking too closely at it or not, but I, I haven't noticed that for a while. Um, so maybe it's a good experiment for you to go back and just get like a red, you know, ball to roll across the screen or something and see if that has any issues for you. Because I know they like browsers have been doing a lot of work to make animation smooth year right. over year. So maybe that improvement will help you there. Um, but other than that, like... For the most part, for me personally, the animations that I've used have been pretty smooth. I haven't done too many of those slide animations that you're talking about. I've done a little bit, just like sliding a nav bar in and out. And I, as, as far as I can see, it's pretty damn smooth. But I, I don't look at it as closely as you do, I don't think. So it could skip a frame here and there. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, because uh, the thing is, is I've, I've done those. That's that's a common one where mm-hmm. you you pop in a... On a really data heavy site, oftentimes I'll use, I use mean, some of my designs, I'll use like a a, a, a vertical navbar, And what I do is I have it slide in and out and I can hide it so that there's just like a little navicon there, like a hide, hide menu button so that the people can, because it's he- data heavy, will be able to view the data with the majority of the screen being the data, of course, right? Because the data is important, data heavy site. So then I will have that come in. And the first time that that thing flies in, it like skips a beat. Now you're right. Like it could be just me being like, hey, what was that? And then it's smooth after every single one. I to be totally honest, like I wonder if I've did this. Cause I've upgraded to my internet in recent years twice. Like maybe it was my internet. Maybe it was I, I did upgrade my computer once. Maybe it was my computer. You know, it could have been something, you know, stupid like that, where I just didn't notice it. The last like year and a half feels like it's been like a month, but also a hundred years. So like I can't really tell you when. Like my perception of time is over. Like it's already gone. I don't have any perception of time, so I can't tell you exactly when this was. This could have been seven years ago, <laughs> oh my God, for all I know. I don't really, I don't remember, uh, to be honest. I mean, I di- I have done webflow animations, like uh, there, I have done webflow animations, and those have been fine. So maybe I'm just.
2: I, I think it's time for you to kind of delve back into it and just let us know. Maybe keep us updated. <laughs> maybe that's what like, I need to do. Yeah. yeah, just do, just do it again over the next like couple weeks, and then just like message on uh, Twitter. And let everyone know what you think. Because, again, I, I haven't seen that issue in a long time. Um, <clears throat> I think it's been solved.
0: And but, and, and yeah. whether that was on my end or not. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? Like, I'm a common denominator. My internet's obviously a common denominator. Devices aren't common. Yeah. But the browser is. Mm-hmm. So, who knows? Yeah,
2: who knows? Um, but, yeah, with, with that, like like I said, there's a lot of stuff you can do with, the, with, uh, with CSS animations. There's a lot of stuff that you can do with other, like... Um, I class and ID targeting with like uh, selector targeting. That's really cool that I haven't really delved a lot into. But like you know you can target every nth element of this class with this type, and then do something with that element, like style it in a certain way or make it animate, whatever you want to do. Um, you can target uh, stuff like th- th- this one. This one was actually interesting. You can st- target stuff like an H an href an a like an anchor tag with an href attribute that begins with https all in CSS, and then do something with it. So like if you see HTTPS, like in an href, maybe put like a little lock beside it, you can do that with just pure CSS, you don't have to use JavaScript for that. I thought that was pretty cool. And there's a lot more of that kind of stuff, like targeting certain elements, and doing something like showing or hiding or whatever, um, based on if they have something or if they don't have something or if they're the like 10th of something or the fifth of something, whatever. A lot of really cool selectors that you would, I would usually like, you know, reach for JavaScript for something like that. But what, uh, what this is telling me is I should go back and learn a little bit more of these uh, tags, a little bit more of this element targeting that CSS already has out of the box. Because if CSS can do it, that means it can do it probably more efficiently. It probably can do it a lot clearer for the person that's reading it. And I don't have to like spin up a whole, you know, JavaScript function just to be able to target the you know, every third element or something, which Obviously, JavaScript can also do. That's why I'm kind of comparing it one-to-one there.
0: You know, it's kind of interesting that CSS has kind of gone from, you would see people almost like edge cases or like just as experiments or whatever, be like, oh, I'm just going to do this with all CSS. And that was always considered like, oh, you're kind of hacking it together or, hey, this demo only works in Chrome. And it was just like, almost like cool code pens back in the day. Like, hey, look at this. I did this with only CSS. Now, like some of those features are there and they're like things that you can... Sort of quote-unquote legitimately use or use across browsers now. Uh, like support is has gone up, so it, it's it's interesting to see. It's interesting to see how some of the stuff has been, say, stolen from JS to almost make it sim- more simplistic. Because it's like kind of doing the hierarchy, right? HTML is kind of the most simplistic, CSS is like the second most, and then JS is like the most complex. So it's kind of like some stuff was stolen. It's weird. It's like some stuff was stolen from the most complex to put it into the middle complex, like the middle, the mid complexity one to make it so that we can use less complex things to do complex things, which makes sense. But it's also kind of strange. And you can see how like developers can quote unquote age as well. Because like me, I'm just going to go do a bunch of crap in JS probably because I don't update myself all the time. As I said, i run around like a fool. So then (laughs) people will be like, hey, what the hell? You could just do this in CSS. And I'll be like, I don't friggin' know. Like... (laughs) So you can see how, like, updating yourself, especially in an industry that moves as quickly as web development, is super important. But at the same time, you can also see the allure of libraries. Yes. And it's this. It's this, you know? And the allure of templates. It's this. And
2: absolutely. so you don't have
0: to deal with the updating.
2: Yeah. It, it, it absolutely has, like, the complexity of the thing. But I think it is going towards a common denominator of making it easier. And more stable because again, like back in the day, this, the changes were so drastic and quick. Now, in my opinion, it's kind of slowing down a little bit and becoming more stable. In which case, like, you know, if you do learn this way now, it's probably going to stay this way in the future. Whereas before, like everything was all up in the air because these browsers didn't support this. There's like 15 million browsers out there, you know, Opera, Opera Mini, and they were all different. Like there's just so much. Variety and stuff that you had to do to make stuff compatible, that you had to use the lowest, lowest, lowest common denominator, which was like uh, difficult to use, like all the block model and stuff like that. But nowadays it's becoming a lot more centralized. Um, There's a lot to be said about like, you know, competition and all that. There's not as much competition as there was, but there is for developers in, in general, it is making it easier to kind of adapt and learn one system rather than learning 15 different systems and trying to adapt them all together. If that makes sense, but with with that, CSS also has a couple of like new things that have come into play recently, um, and they're becoming really widely adapted to the point where like I I'm pretty confident using them for development projects and like maybe not major major like uh, production projects, but for most production projects, I'd be okay with using them. Stuff like CSS variables uh, is supported in all browsers now, so you can do you know. You can set all your colors in a separate application or a separate file, for instance. And then you just use those variables that you set, those CSS variables in all your other files so that <clears throat> when in the future you want to change a theme, all you have to do is just change those variables and it completely like, you know, goes across all of your different uh, files, which is kind of cool, like adding a little bit more of that, like uh, JavaScript style or programming style functionality to css so you don't have to reach for javascript for every little thing that's the idea of these things just making it more convenient and less likely for you to need certain functionality in javascript because again the point being css will run more efficiently and easier and lighter than a javascript alternative for depending on the use case obviously but then there's also things called CSS modules, which is fairly new. Uh, So what this is, is that because ESM, so ES module support is now being supported across all browsers, which means you can import things and the browser is like, oh, I know what an import means. That's all that really means. You can actually have scoped CSS sheets inside of your browser. So you can have like a separate sheet, a separate file of CSS for every page and whatever uh, classes you use in that, will be locally scoped to that page. So if you have, for instance, a um, large class in index.html and you import the index.css file sheet, right? that large class will only be taken from that index.css style sheet. So if you have that large class again, like .large in uh, about.css and about.html, and it's different, like maybe one of them makes the div larger and one of them makes the text larger, they won't conflict. So you can have large in both those things. You can use like really standard, really basic CSS variable names across di- across all your different pages and just have them in different sheets. And uh, nothing will conflict because how ES modules will work. They'll just put like a ending tag on it, on every one of those so that they're locally scoped and that's it. And again, that's all handled by the browser. You don't need any build tools. Like before, this was easily accomplishable with build tools. And like frameworks like like React and Vue, they did this for you locally scoping. Um, but nowadays, uh, you can actually do it in just basic HTML, CSS, and, and JavaScript, which is cool.
0: You know what's interesting about these complexities that are being added to – or these new functionality, I should say, not complexities, uh, being added to CSS is that – I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but when we were like very, very, very beginning – Uh, but before we were even really doing any professional work, I think, or maybe it was like just at the beginning of it, we like, we were on the fence about what to use. Like we were like, does Flexbox, like is Flexbox valid? And it was difficult. I mean... As a beginner, it was difficult to tell what was valid. Like, do we use the uh, the box model, block model, whatever? Do you use flexbox? Do you use CSS Grid? wasn't a thing, but it was it was sort of like we ended up not using flexbox for a while because it was it was very bizarre. It was a really bizarre feeling as a newbie coming into something because there isn't like a CSS marketing site out there where it's like these are our features. Call you know call this number and get like a like schedule a zoom demo today and stuff like this it, it, they don't have that it, it it's css is sort of you know one of the foundational things and therefore it's it's not it's not clear maybe it is now but i know for sure when you and i were looking we were like flexbox this flexbox thing sounds like it can be done responsibly uh cuz we were trying to learn responsive design I wonder if like how to do this. And we ended up on CSS tricks another the website I'm sure we've all used. And we ended up on CSS tricks and we messing around on there. And it's like, you know, I can't get this Flexbox thing to work. Let me look around. And then you look and because it was at like that period of time where a lot of the examples on uh, Stack Overflow was using the, the, is it the box or the block model? I always forget. But anyway, we're using that model. It was like, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't be using Flexbox. Like maybe it's like literally I think we said like maybe this is a fad or something that's like an edge case. Maybe we shouldn't use it. And we didn't use it for a long time because there's ways to make any of the models, uh, you know, responsive with percentages and different like widths and at media tags and all the rest of it. Sure. Now, you can argue about uh, you can argue about efficiency in those, but it's possible. And and like I wonder as a beginner how these features and the features that you know of yesteryear I wonder how they cope with this like how, like where do you start as a CSS person that's like brand new to CSS do you do the box or block model do you do the do you do the flex box? do you do grid do you do like what do you where do you start and and like there's a ton of ways to do stuff Yep. That's the that's the issue too, is that one, and I mean one, Stack Overflow or any article from any site, Stack Overflow is just a really common one, can steer you the wrong direction. If you go and you look up, and I'm just making this up, you're like, how do I make a button? And someone has this crazy method of putting a button together in JS. And let's say it was for some edge case on some old, old browser or something. And there's the reason why it's crazy. But you're, you're like crazy by modern standards, but you're new. You don't know. And so you just go, oh, I guess that's how you make buttons. Now all your Google searches may be tainted by that, where now you're Googling in that context. So now you're getting answers, which like validates yourself being like, oh yeah, like, of course you, you do this import and this and that, and all this other stuff to like import a button. Like, what are you talking about? Like that can happen. And whereas, you know, Mike and my situation, like we just eventually learned Flexbox, it was just like, we just eventually was like, you know what, let's start using Flexbox. It wasn't like that bad, but all my Google searches were not Flexbox from that day for at least like a year, you know, we weren't using Flexbox for responsive sites at that point. And we really, really could have been. And the thing is, is that it's hard to get a company, an agency, whatever, to change directions, you know, imagine being a person because like a, an agency is slow in this. Imagine being a person that doesn't have all the information. Agencies have a bunch of information and data and this and that that they can look at, but they're slow moving. Imagine being a person, like you're just a lone person. You're like, you know what? I really want to get hired by an agency. I'm going to try to practice CSS or whatever, HTML, JS, whatever it is. And you have all this at your disposal and you just miss something. It could be an honest mistake. And then maybe you don't interview well after that, because maybe your interview skills are fine, but like your actual skills were tainted by this. Like, I'm seriously curious as a, and there's no way for us to test this ourselves, but as a complete beginner, especially a complete beginner that was not in a tech field prior, how they, how you handle it if you are doing self-taught boot camps and stuff like this, going to school, of course, is a solution, of course. But if you are a self-taught individual, how do you cut through the noise? This goes back to the whole thing of like, holy crap, like, you know, there's all these different HTML tags and look at all this thing and I can import modules and like I can animate, but like, what's the difference between an animation and a transition and should I be using that and should I, you know, it just gets to the point where it's like, what are we doing here? And then that is where the people then turn to a library sometimes. And now they're just all in on jQuery or they're just all in on React or whatever, which is not a, I'm not saying that's a problem, but. I just wonder what the experience is today. (laughs) Because back then it was like Flexbox or not to Flexbox. Now it's like, do we import? Do we do this? Like, do we do grid? How's the grid doing? How's that working on IE? Do we use this? Does it do the mobile layout? How does it move over here? Do we have like, like there's so many moving parts now. I just don't even know. I don't even know how we got started. We were lucky.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just wondering how the people get started now. By listening to us. I, I mean yeah i suppose <laughs> yes, but but like okay so when we got started uh internet explorer was still fairly popular right like there was no i don't think when we got started there was even edge like i believe we were on like no when no we, no well, when there was first, no edge yeah when we first got started it was either ie 10 or ie 11 right so one of those two
0: we were on eight like our latest os at the time was one i believe maybe yeah no yeah that's right because i I had an insider build of windows 10
2: right right and from mohawk right from our college yeah no no
0: no like i'm in the the windows insider program right yeah so like i had like an insider like insider meaning beta
2: yeah version of windows 10 that i was like playing with yeah so there was there was no edge there was no edge at the time and the problem was like when we were searching up flexbox when we were initially doing the first set of research to decide on display block or display flex uh when uh, Internet Explorer 10 kind of supported it, like it supported it, but there was glitches Internet Explorer 11 supported a little bit better, but six, like anything below 10 didn't support it at all. And that was still like a possibility for us. Like there's still some people on Internet Explorer, like nine and eight and seven. Like there's still, there was still that thing. So we're like, well, we might as well go with the supported model, right? It's like, we might as well go with block because that's supported in all the different browsers and that's where we're good to go. And that was the reason. Now, if you look it up now, like if, you, if you're a new developer and you're in the same spot that we were and you look it up now, Internet Explorer 11 is barely used, right? And it supports Flexbox to an almost full degree, right? It's uh, like its global usage right now is 0.94%. I'm on caniuse.com uh, just, just to like make something. Now Edge, is it's fully supported in Edge right? So if if you're thinking like you're supporting Edge, even the older before Chromium Edge, it's supported in that. So you're good there. It's supported in Chrome, it's supported in Safari, it's supported everywhere else. That's where you're like, okay, well, I I guess I'm just going to use it at this point. Like everyone's talking about Flexbox, everyone's using it, that's it. Whereas when we were doing it, it was kind of like, grid a couple of years ago where like grid was supported but not supported in some browsers so you're like well i'm going to use it i might use it for development projects but i'm not going to use it for anything production because like what if someone's using it on ie or something like that or edge even i think it, grid had like minor support in edge so you weren't you weren't going to pull for it so it was again that toss-up Whereas the, the Flexbox model wasn't at that point. So you're like, okay, I'm going full into Flexbox. So that's the evolution of it. Like now, Grid is at that point where you're like, oh, I can use Grid because it's supported in the latest version of Edge, like the latest version of Microsoft Edge and the latest version of Chromium Edge. It's supported in Safari and all that. But now is the point where I can cut off and learn Flexbox and Grid and be confident with it. That's not to say that like the block model is gone. Obviously, there's still probably some like small niche. Or, or, or like some agencies or some like niche applications out there that like rely on the block model. And there's not to say like you're, you're going to learn Flexbox and Grid and then go to like a, a company that's just like all using block and you might be screwed. You, you can learn it. Like it's still learnable. It's still not like it's not impossible to do block model. Um, but for the most part, I would say you're pretty safe not learning it in my opinion like i don't think you should start on the block model and learn flexbox and grid i think you should start on flexbox and learn grid if that makes sense like those should be your two things that you that you push for and then everything else is kind of like you don't really need at this point
0: and the, and i would say this too is just as a, an interject here is i don't use grid very much um I just haven't gotten around to really learning it much. I've used it here and there. I use it on stream once, um, but I've like really, rarely used it. And you can do a lot with Flexbox. It's not like when you learn Flexbox, you're like, well, I better learn grid before I start, you know, selling sites or whatever. No, that's not the case. Like you can absolutely do pretty much everything you need to do with uh, Flexbox. Flexbox is totally powerful, powerful, whatever. Some stuff still needs to use the block or box model um, still. But uh, at this point, um, like i really like i really couldn't without a guide just pull up css grid. Now that's, you know, you could say like why aren't you update your that's fine. I'm just the reason why I make that point is is that you don't need to feel pressure to like jump right into grid. You can just do flexbox get good at it, continue to master it and then just slowly introduce
2: grid as you see fit. Mm-hmm. And i think i think like i don't i don't think they stand apart. It's not like it, it's not it's it's different than learning block model and flex because i think in my opinion they stand apart. Like if you learn flex I, you almost never have to reach for block. Like, I, I literally, like, the last four or five web pages that I built out, I haven't done anything in the block model unless it's like default. Like, if it's just like a text box or something, I'll just leave it default without flex. Um, but I could easily just throw flex on it. It'll be the exact same functionality. So, anything that block can do, flex can do. Whereas grid is different. I think grid is something that you would use with flexbox rather than just learning it completely separately. Like Flexbox and Grid together make for a stupidly powerful combination. Whenever you get around to like uh, learning it now, now that it's again supported in a bunch of browsers, I think it is important to kind of at least take a look at it again. But absolutely Flex can do almost everything that you want it to do without any sort of other thing. Like you don't need to learn, need to learn Grid to do almost anything. The only advantage I'd say that Grid gives you in is in responsivity there's certain things that you literally can't do in block or flexbox that um grid can do for responsivity like it can it can rearrange your elements based on like even their hierarchy like putting something below something else just with uh grid whereas with flexbox you would have to use something like um Either multiple divs and hiding one and showing one, or JS with like, you know, ripping something out and putting something there to achieve the same functionality.
0: But now, I will say one yeah. thing. Uh first of all, we're both fools. It's CSS box model, so we're both fools. I just Googled this. And Fair second much. of all, <laughs> I knew I knew it was one of them, but I just we're just both fools. And mm-hmm. second of all, um, one thing I do want to interject here is that the box model is very useful because it gets you um it gets you familiar with how I something like, let's say a content block works. So let's say a really typical design is you have three content blocks across uh, a screen. Let's just say it's a desktop screen, it's right across the screen. And they're divvied up into, let's say, thirds or approximately thirds. The Flexbox handles the sort of some of the size, and this this varies wildly, I'd like to point out. But in general, the Flexbox kind of handles it. Collapsing in on one another. Like if one goes under on the other, it handles like that responsivity. It handles it going across. It handles the alignment. Like are the three blocks together centered? Are they forced left? Are they stretching across the screen? It handles that type of stuff. But the box model is really useful to learn because you learn stuff like this is where the content is. This is the, this is where the border is and what that is. This is what the padding is. Margins different than padding, although they can look very similar visually depending on how your thing is set up. And so the box model really gets you set up it like the box model is almost like it's used in the content box the box handles the layout and then css grid is sort of like the next generation of this stuff but like you still need to know padding margin all that stuff which is introduced and like is sort of important to the to the box model
2: yeah but i, I don't know why you would need the box model till you're use padding and margin like it's isn't it it's the same exact uh functionality and see it in flexbox like I just, no, I just no, use you're, margin and right. padding in Flexbox. Like I, I, to be honest, like I, uh, I don't see a reason to learn the box model if you have the ability to use Flexbox. I think they can each do the same things, but Flexbox just does it easy like better and easier and it still gives the same functionality like you can still use margin left margin right and top i I think the thing
0: is though is like what i'm saying i guess is like we learned box model first and then we moved from to flexbox but because we learned box model first we understood padding margin all that now the thing is is i don't know all the semantics of like um how it is like officially but the padding margin and all that stuff like you're saying like in flexbox is literally the same it's like like padding and margin and um all that type of stuff, borders and those type of things is the same from as far as I know from flexbox to box. Like they're both exactly the same. Yep. So all I'm saying is is like to me the box model allowed me to focus on that, focus on learning what a margin is, what a border is, what a padding is, and like it's pretty simplistic. But like you know it takes a little bit to kind of get into the groove. And then when I go to flexbox, all I'm doing is putting the stuff in, and I'm like, hey. Why is my title right up against the border of my one of my content blocks? Well, I know from my experience with box model that I use padding. Now, you're absolutely correct. You never need to use – or like in that instance that I just said, you don't have to go and be like display block and then – that's why we keep confusing it with box and block model, by the way, <laughs> because it's a block. Yeah, <laughs> just, I, I honestly I think it, that
2: you can you can say it both ways. Like, you probably
0: I'm, can, but like yeah. I I looked it up, and then some some like crazy like or not crazy, but a bunch of other stuff came out that was not web development. But anyway, um, all I did was quickly Google it though. So anyway, but the point of the matter is is that um, the box model helped me learn how to manage the stuff in the box. Flexbox helps me move the boxes around. CSS grid is still kind of a mystery to me. I'm still learning that, so I can't make a full comment on that. But it seems like the next generation for some layouts. But it's almost like if I was to, if I was, to, this is a personal um, classification of this. Flexbox is for layout, box is for layout of content. Now, I know that some people are going to be like, that's too confusing, this and that, but that's just the way I have it in my head, where I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to use. And again, I'm not actually officially using the the display block in these boxes. I'm just saying that by using that originally when I first learned, that allowed me to focus on those fundamentals: content in middle, padding, like more, uh, border margins, and then that allowed me to then go, hey, you know what? Centering, like Mike said, is a real pain in the ass. And then I went to flexbox. So in my brain, that's how it's. Set up is that the official definition and stuff like that. No, but it's just something to keep in mind that like the padding, the margin, and all that is virtually if virtually the same, if not the same between the two.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think one thing it definitely gave me was an appreciation for flexbox and grid. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like right now, I can I can legitimately say I really like those things. Whereas if you're just going into the industry and you're just starting with flexbox, your opinion might be different because you're just starting with that right away and um you won't have that i guess not as good base of of the box model um like i don't i i, I don't want to poo-poo on the box model too too much because I know you're using s- a
0: lot of it still like you're there's still s- using the padding the margin and all that those but are fundamentals that are yeah, in the, fundamentals, the box model. but i
2: don't think that those fundamentals are part of the box model if that makes sense i think they're just something that we used in the box model
0: no in, in that that's what i mean to be yeah. clear in my brain yeah because that's how i learned it yeah, that's how I like see it because I've because I went from like forever in my brain. I'll have like a box model module in my head <laughs> and yeah. then a flex box built on top of that. And then if I learn grid or when I learn grid grid on top of that, you know what I mean? I'm not going to forget like where the things come from. So that that that's just what I mean, I think. Yeah. And I would say if you're a person that's really struggling with flex box, my honest opinion is to just try to do a couple of divs. And I know that I know we've already like, like said, div is like a bad word and don't use divs all the time. But if you're just learning, I would try to do a div and just align your content within a box with display block, whatever, display inline block, whatever you need just to learn those fundamentals if you're struggling at that level. Now, it is pretty simple. I'm sure you will get it pretty quick, but it's just a matter of like, you you know, padding isn't something you always think of. Now it's like a muscle memory for me. I know what padding is. But some people might be like, why would I use padding and not margin? Like, why wouldn't I just use margin and have like a nested div? You know what I mean? Like, those are the things that like you would, you would weed out if you were just focusing on the the older box model, because you might be like, hey, like, why don't I have a div? And then I have another div for my content inside of that div and then have that other div just be like background is red. And then the other div like covers the inside of it. And then that's my border. Like people might get into that trap. And so the box model allows you to say, no, I'm going to have one div and I'm going to have a margin property in there. I'm going to have my border properties in there. And if my content is too close to the edges, which is my border in this case, I'm going to put some padding in there. It's just it's just a fundamental thing that you'll use throughout the other models as well. That's I
2: think that's all I'm saying. That's just the way I see it in my brain because that's how we learned it. Yeah, fair, fair enough. It's another way of maybe getting past that, like the, the basics, fundamental stuff. So... Yeah. If you're, if you're out there and you're having trouble getting those concepts, maybe that's a good way to start it because that's obviously it worked for you, Matt, right? Like, so that's one thing you can, you can definitely say for me, like I've, I've literally taken it out of my head. Like I don't even know what to do with the box model or anything. I don't. Oh yeah. I,
0: your way is totally valid. We yeah, have different, we have different ways of yeah, problem exactly, solving. Everyone does. Yeah. You know,
2: I think that's, a, I think it's good to have multiple different ways because some people might respond better to obviously either one. So cool. Um, I think with that we can move on straight to JavaScript, this the last in this pile of stuff. So we started with HTML. Like that's the top of the pyramid, then we went to CSS, the middle and then JavaScript's kind of the base, the model the bottom of the pyramid. Um, I don't know if that's actually a good example because you can definitely still build the pyramid with just uh, HTML and CSS. Like I think there's plenty of sites that you can build. That only need those two. And I think that's one of the points that I want to get across today is that there's so much functionality in both those languages, especially when they're combined together and with the new stuff that's coming out. That you should only be like reaching for JavaScript when you need certain things, like when you need anything that any functionality outside of uh, navigation, right? Like actual functionality, like with functionality, what I mean is stuff like DOM manipulation. The DOM is like the actual HTML elements. Like if you need to move an element somewhere else on the page, um, unless, you're do- unless you can do that with responsivity and uh, C- uh, CSS grid, then you can reach for JavaScript for doing that. If you need a- an element to appear on the page that wasn't there on initial load because something happened, that's something that JavaScript can do for you. That's what I mean by DOM manipulation then there's API interaction in general, fetching, sending, uh, putting, like all the different things that you can do with an API. That's all JavaScript, right? So if you have any sort of external data coming to your website that you need to process and then display in a certain way that's kind of like always changing, like it's not just data that's static that's in your HTML page, it's data that like pulling the stocks, right? And you want to display the stocks. That's an always changing data. That's the kind of stuff you're going to need to reach for JavaScript. Um, anything to do with authentication, right? So if you need to log into using Google or you need to log into your backend service or anything like that, all of that has to be done with JavaScript because you need to be able to send the, the, the right information, receive the right information and then process it to put you somewhere else, right? Um, you can actually do authentication with PHP as well. We're not going to get into PHP in this in, in this uh, 3 Um, and maybe that is kind of a slight against it because PHP can do a lot, but, and, and you can kind of use it sometimes in lieu of JavaScript, but the modern age development is moving towards a more JavaScript side of things because it kind of takes out one extra element for you to learn. Because even if you know PHP, if you want to be a full stack developer, you're going to need to know JavaScript. And nowadays, if you want to be a full stack developer and develop your own stuff, you can kind of do it with just these three. And you don't even need to reach for PHP if you don't want to because of Node.js and all that. And I'll talk about that in a second. Um, there's stuff like interactive maps. So any anytime you see a Google map, uh, that's using JavaScript to be, a, you, you know, you'd be able to pull it around. You'd be able to add markers to it. You'd be able to, like, you know, get directions and stuff like that. That's all done with JavaScript. Any sort of 3D intense animations... Um, not that I would recommend using that too often, to be honest, because like Matt was saying, he had trouble with the stuttering little slide in and out. Uh, if you're doing a 3d animation on a site that is required to be accessed by a general public, like for instance, a government website, you're probably leaning towards the wrong thing. Like you don't want to be showing the globe spinning for no reason, uh, cranking up everyone's battery and phones and stuff like that. Uh, there should be a very, important reason why you're reaching for stuff like this like you shouldn't just reach for stuff for no reason it's another kind of little topic um camera and that's sort of like sorry just to to jump in really
0: quick it's sort of like the difference between do you need the globe to spin or are you working on something like an autocad drawing because some of those can be embedded in web pages it's sort of like you wouldn't embed an autocad drawing a 3d image of the globe or some you know some crazy thing you wouldn't embed that in a page as eye candy But you would embed it in a page if it was a class about AutoCAD. So kind of look at your use case and be like, well, I literally need this AutoCAD thing. Even though, yeah, you know, you could say, well, it's just a GIF or it's just this image that's being animated. It's not quite an AutoCAD. Right. But what if it is, like you said, a public government website and there's people coming in from Android KitKat or something like it ain't going to work well for them.
2: And so you have to consider that absolutely exactly so you have to you have to consider your audience a lot of this stuff like when i when i kind of do the logic and the basic functionality and requirements gathering for a project one of the biggest things is the audience and this is a little bit of a tangent but regardless it's kind of important especially with the javascript side of things like what you're pulling for um when you're building something and your audience is very specifically like for instance developers the tools that you can reach for are very very different and very very much in in terms of like can i reach for some of the newer technologies developers usually have newer browsers so i can you know screw definitely screw block model there like definitely you know anything that's that supported in the latest browsers i can use 100% like i don't care about internet explorer but if you're reaching for you know the the general population and you need everyone to be able to have the same experience the technologies that you can use start to dwindle down like like immediately so like some libraries won't work. Some of this stuff won't work. Like for instance, I had recently an issue with, uh, I have to support Android 5. Android 5 web views specifically don't support lets and consts. So let and const is a variable type in JavaScript that's been supported for a long time, but Android 5 doesn't support it. So if you have a letter or const, it'll just crash. The app won't won't run. If you're relying on JavaScript. So I was just, I just have to use VARs for that. Um, then there's a bunch of other stuff that it doesn't support as well. It uses like get user media, like to get camera and microphone access is different on the older stuff. So there's a lot of like backwards compatibility stuff that I have to do to be able to support it. And uh, it's a very different consideration in my head. Like as soon as I know that I'm working on older systems, I'm like, okay, I have to switch off my like, oh, let's reach for the best and latest and greatest. I have to go back and reach for old JavaScript like old stuff that I, you know, that I was working on six, seven years ago and uh, just do that or or like older older versions of jQuery because even newer, newer versions of jQuery will kind of fail in some, in some cases. So that is a really important concept to get across because when you're first starting out, when you're first building stuff, you're kind of usually reaching for the latest and greatest. But when you're in a production environment and you're told, hey, we need to build this application, um, all the laptops that our industry workers have are Windows 98 based, you're like, okay, well now, you know, now I'm working on your Explorer 6 and you're, <laughs> you're going to go down a deep rabbit hole of what you can and cannot use. And those those decisions will have extreme ramifications on the, uh, the actual technologies that you can build. That's for sure. Um, I already mentioned like camera and microphone access, that's all JavaScript side. So if you want to display, you know, something or, you know, do some face tracking or something like that, that's fully JavaScript. You can't do that with CSS or HTML, um, any sort of canvas drawing. So any, like, you know, if you want to do like Matt was mentioning before, you can do animations on a canvas. You can do a lot of other stuff with canvases as well. Um, any of that stuff that's JavaScript driven. And again, you got to reach for that. And there's like a million other things that the JavaScript can do that CSS and HTML can't do. Um, but the main, again, the main point that I want to make is that you need to know that you need these functionalities to reach for it. Like if you just have a site that's just information heavy and has a bunch of like, you know, information aspects to it and maybe a contact form, that's not necessarily a reason to use JavaScript for every little thing. Right, you can use HTML and CSS for ninety nine percent of that site. Now, the contact form, arguably, yes, it can be done with JavaScript or PHP. Again, bringing it back to that PHP debate, but um, for the most part, in a regular business card website, I, in my opinion, you can kind of get away from using JavaScript completely. Is that? I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of pass that off to you, Matt. Do you? Is that a correct statement? Hmm. Hmm. Say the statement again. Okay, so the statement is, in a regular website, like a regular marketing website, let's say. So a marketing website, I guess, I guess that's what I need boiled down. A marketing website would be just like a, about um, a you know a, a, a nice cover page, like a nice homepage, and like a contact us okay. page. Essentially, just those things, maybe with like a retailer section or something like that. Like, so, you know, just information-heavy website. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you can build with just css and html and i'm the only thing that i can think of that you need a, some sort of programming language again between javascript and php is the form is the form the contact form which you, can't you get don't even that. really need um you could just list your email correct exactly you like could just you list, your email, list your email your phone form, number can you do that with just like just literally no js files whatsoever
0: yes um yeah absolutely i would say um even some of the animations and transitions and stuff like this That you would think like, hey, you know, in the polish phase, as we've already mentioned, you know, the hovering, having like the drop shadow change on the text or have the color change on the text when you're hovering with a mouse or when you click with uh, your finger while it's still loading. Maybe the link changes color or something like whatever you want to do at that basic level. Yeah, I would say. Now. There's limitations there where. At that point, you're kind of stuck with static files because um, a lot of CMSs will use, you know, something like PHP or JS or whatever, even though we're not touching on PHP today. Use PHP, JS or, you know, something else, Node.js, whatever it is, right? Whatever your back end is doing, back databases and the whole, the whole shebang. But yes, for what you're saying, yes. And the thing is with that is... I think that should actually be encouraging to anyone listening to this. That's like, you know, I haven't reached that point. I've learned HTML, learned JS I've learned HTML, learned CSS. I'm about to learn JS. You can still go out there and make some sites for your portfolio. You can still go out there and enhance your CSS skill. Like I just said, I don't know CSS grid that well, you know, there's always something more to learn and there's always more stuff coming. Uh, so realistically speaking, I mean, with your limited knowledge or what you think is limited knowledge, you can do it. Like, here's the thing. I don't know, you know, no JS. I don't really know PHP, but I can still manipulate and work with WordPress. Now I do know a fair bit about servers. I, you know, I know about server administration, you know, et cetera. So I do have that behind me. But the thing is, is that I think people are too busy sometimes chasing, and not busy focused on what they're doing. Like, of course, it's good to have a target to go after. Like, hey, I need to learn JS. Don't just be like, nah, I just use HTML and CSS on all my client sites. It's like, okay, well, there's going to be limitations, you know. There's going to be limitations. We've already talked about those. going to be limitations. But the thing is, is you yourself are not limited to nothing. And I think feel like people are like, oh, if I don't have it all, I'm limited to nothing. You're not limited to nothing. You can still do a whole bunch of stuff. You can make business card websites for people. You could put your own uh, templates on GitHub if you want to give them away. You can do it for your portfolio, start putting it on Instagram. You could do whatever it is that you are trying to do within the limitations of your skill, of course, but it's not like there's nothing to be done. And I think that's really important. And it's actually impressive from a technological standpoint that we can do HTML and CSS with no, I would call a JS, the logic. It's almost like the little brain, the little processor, right? And yes, there's backend stuff. I'm not going to get into that. But the point is, is that CSS and, and, and HTML are always seen as sort of like, I would almost classify them in my own head as like the static languages where they're not really being, there's, there's no like if statements and this and that. Yes, I know there's some CSS ifs and stuff you could do, whatever. But the point of the matter is, is like for the most part, to me, CSS and, and HTML are very static. And the fact that you can do so much with something that is so static is really impressive. So, I mean, be creative. It's just like anything else. Be creative, you know. If you could solve a solve a problem with whatever skills you have, I mean, go like go ahead and do that, you know? If you can get if you can force something to work in CSS without hacking it together and it works well and it like you know the browsers aren't glitching out with it and it works and it's compatible and everything else i mean power to you you know what i mean so you can there's a million and one solutions to everything and just do it i mean that's honestly that that's that's kind of my sentiment there and because the reason why i mention all this is because js is such a big hurdle like if you don't know basic programming syntax and i mean ones that are or syntax that is across languages, like if statements, like additional statements, if you don't understand what a variable is, if you don't understand how integers work and this and that and all the rest of it, if you do not get that, that stuff, JS is a huge hurdle because just like how you, just like how you had to learn how the DOM flows with HTML, you have to learn how JS works as a concept, how programming languages, not just JS work as a concept. And then you have to learn the syntax of JS. So if you're stuck, or you're like, "Hey, I'm just learning JS. This is going to take a while." Yeah, but you're not. You're not stuck. You like, you can go and make websites. Yeah, there's limitations. You can go and do it. And then you can always just hit up JS, you uh, know, start using JS as your skills go and improve. Because I don't know JS all that well. I know it enough. I know like how programming languages generally work and stuff like that. So I have like a leg up, I suppose, there but i don't use js every single day so i just don't i don't use it every day so like i just don't use it every day you know i don't use it every day so i forget a lot of this stuff but that i think is the hardest part that i think is the hardest part is learning like that syntax learning that <sighs> learning the what would you call it mike it's not it's not the js syntax it that's the problem it's no, like
2: it's, it's it's programming like you you, you nailed it like lear, learning getting your head around a language or programming as a concept is difficult. The initial hurdle is an actual hurdle. Like it's legit. Like you don't understand, you don't understand, you don't understand. And all of a sudden you're jumping and you're like, Oh my God, I understand now. And then that, after that initial hurdle, everything is kind of like a little bit downhill and it's more understandable. It's not easy by any means, but it's way more understandable, but you have to have that aha moment hmm. Like everyone yes, that's that I've good talked to, to, everyone that I've talked to in, in programming has had that like, oh, okay, that's how programming is. And then everything kind of starts going into place. But until you have that moment, it's difficult, like really difficult to the point where like, I had a few people in my university courses, my programming, like, you know, software engineering university courses, by the end of the courses, they still did not know how to program which is mind-boggling, right? Because they were in a software engineering program but they just could never get past that hurdle. It's so cuz they, they,
0: they memorize, right? Like in school, yeah. you, it's it's possible if you're good at it. Not in all cases, but it's possible to memorize enough to pass or even do good. Yep.
2: Exactly. Or and rely on like group projects, right? Like group projects we always had, we always split up essentially into the people that could program and the people that could write. And then like, so the people that would program, <laughs> yeah. And then the people that would write would just do the documentation side of everything. And then the people that would program would actually do the project. So that's always like essentially 99% of the projects were always like that. I only one time in my, or a couple uh, maybe like two or three times in my uh, university career did I have a partner that I could actually program,
0: which wow. is interesting. Okay, yeah, It interesting. was interesting.
2: Yeah. It was an interesting concept. But like I said, like, it's just not it, that initial hurdle it just it has to click in your head and it's really difficult to describe that to someone that's either it's already clicked or it hasn't clicked before but it's just it's one of those things where you just kind of have to grind it out and understand it and try and try and try and get get better at it until it clicks and then and then it's like okay now i can do it like now i can learn now i can understand and everything like that you just have to grind out that initial start it it's it's a
0: good comparison if you take it still in tech but you take it out of programming it's the same thing as IT so you may not understand the, the intricacies of the, of a company's uh, or of a computer's issues. you might not understand the intricacies of like or the, you might not even understand the, the hardware that's in there like you might not be informed that it like what what GPU is in there what CPU whatever but I mean I'm sure it's the same for Mike because we worked in IT it comes to a point where someone has a problem and you have two or three potential solutions in your head and whether they're all wrong or whether they're all right, or whether whatever, the fact that you have those like estimates or educated uh, solutions in your head means that you've kind of quote unquote made it like it's like a muscle memory now. And it's the same thing with programming where you might be like, oh, I can put an if here blah, 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 and do this or that. And the thing is, is like you can refactor later and whatever. But the point is, is like if you can come up with a solution in your head without being like, well, do I use ifs to like, that's the big question, right? Like, do I use ifs to control this button? That should like once the once the solution becomes, oh, like should I use some ifs here? Should I use this here? Should I use this here? Like you have a bunch of like ideas in your head that that then you're like, oh yeah, boom! Like you kind of get it. You kind of get the idea.
2: Exactly. Um, yeah. So. With that, I'm uh, just going to round it out a little bit and finish this off, uh, turn into a longer episode than I was expecting, but that's good. It's covering like three major topics. And obviously, we haven't covered them in any like depth. I just wanted to give an overview of what each one is responsible for and why we learn them this way so that it can kind of give you a person that's starting out or maybe a person that's a little bit more seasoned uh, back back to thinking about the basics. And instead of thinking about every little framework or every little technology, you start thinking more basic and that like like uh, we talked about earlier with the keep it simple stupid will make your applications better but with JavaScript uh, there's there's a lot that it can do like there's a reason why I recommend learning JavaScript is because it's not just like a web programming language anymore. There's server-side JavaScript with Node.js, Matt mentioned a couple of times. And there's also a bunch of stuff that you can do with native applications. So you can get a native application like iOS or Android to run JavaScript and act and feel almost exactly like a regular, you know, Kotlin or Java or Swift or Objective-C programmed application, like stuff like Cordova, Electron, React Native, all give you the ability to do that. And learning JavaScript, again, gives you the interoperability to do tooling to do native apps to do websites to do uh business you know applications inter intranet applications it's just it's so flexible and there's so much room for it to even to grow even further that it's just it's kind of like it's the end state of a web developer now some might someone might attack me for that or whatever but like in my opinion uh if you know javascript you have a good and bright future, right? Like it's it's one of those things that will propel you, and the the more you the better you get at it, the better it'll the make the easier it'll be to for you to land jobs and create applications and all that, etc., etc., etc. So that's why I wanted to end with it, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. But it is an important part of the web development ecosystem, but it shouldn't be something that you reach for on every little feature. Like there should be a natural progression of like, can HTML do this? No can css do this no okay i'll do it in javascript right that's that's kind of the the hierarchy that i wanted to instill in this but javascript is still super important and super powerful like the stuff that it can do and then service workers make it even more powerful and then like WebAssembly, like there's just so much that it can do so um i think i'm going to leave it at that we were going to have a little debate at the end here but we've kind of gone really over time uh, and I think we'll leave the debate maybe for like a, either a pre-show or a, or a web news or something like that because we haven't done one of those in a long time.
0: Yeah, I still have that one web news. It's just it's just we're we're still on the fallout of all the craziness um, yeah. of, that we had with all the like I said feast or famine and that type of thing. Um, so we're just it's just this, this is just the fallout of it. Like the show was the cornerstone of the week that we try to always 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 do, and that's what we kind of did. So goal met, I suppose. But speaking
2: of goals, um, Mike weekly growth goal. What's the status of yours? Yeah. So my weekly growth goal was to complete the weekly goals functionality. So like being able to uh, mark a goal as done, being able to delete a goal and being able to uh, uh, encourage a goal by this week. Now, I haven't fully achieved all three of those functionalities, but I'm almost there. And I also redid the work, the structure of some of my authentication. I also did some like a bunch of styling. So I did deviate from just that plan. Um, but the good news is, is that I'm really close, and I have uh, allotted a bunch of time this week to actually not only complete the weekly goal functionality, but to get some sort of beta out to the public of the site. Like my goal for literally up till next Tuesday or Wednesday is to have a link to and to be able to talk about the site, maybe even in the show, and to for people to start trying it out. Like it's going to be really basic. I'm, I'm not going to give an overview right now. I'll give an overview during that episode. But uh, don't expect like the, the moon, but it is, it does have like an authentication and like some interactivity with the community. And it is like community centered, like everyone will be able to see each other's goals and stuff. So it's, it is a little bit more of an undertaking than I thought it would be, but I did learn a ton from it. And I used Strappy, which was kind of a cool headless CMS tool that I'll definitely reach for in the future. So that was my weekly goal. And my weekly goal for next week, again, is to get that app to you guys.
0: Cool. Uh, my growth goal was to make a move on a couple of domains. Um, I am at a crossroads, so I did a little research and I learned something. So I can hire a web brokerage or like a Domain brokerage service and have them deal with it and you have to pay them and this and that. But I learned something interesting. So obviously you can find out the owner of a domain by using a who is. Now, I just do the who is whatever. And a lot of the time now, due to the fact that spam calls have kind of blown out of control, a lot of registrars were as they used to redact the contact information of the person uh, for a fee. A lot of the information seems to be redacted by default. Now, I don't know the laws and stuff behind that. That's up to the registrars. But of the domains that I want, the stuff is redacted. Fair enough. So I thought, OK, I'll use a brokerage thing. But I, I kind of like know how to look around the Internet to find out how to contact somebody, like obviously because I'm on the Internet. So I like looked around to try to see if this person had a contact form, you know, just the public stuff. It's not like I'm breaking into anything. Just looking at, you know, does this person have a contact form? Who owns this? What is the path? Because this website was purchased at one point and like where's the company's at and stuff like this. And um, I found nothing. And then I looked up what at one brokerage service, and they said we're only going to use public records to determine if we can figure out who this is. And I thought to myself, I don't know whether I want to pay this because in this particular particular brokerage service, it's two hundred and some odd dollars to pay upfront. Then it's twenty percent commission on top if they if they get it. But now they do handle the, the the transfer. But I learned something interesting. In the who is you can determine the registrar. Generally, of the domain. Is it network solutions? Is it GoDaddy? Is it whoever? Here's the thing: a lot of these services, a lot of these registrars have their own Who-is. When I went to that particular registrar's Who-is, because there's two websites I wanted, one was on GoDaddy actually, and one was on on um network solutions. I can contact the domain owner via those specific who is now network solutions. I've only looked briefly cause it's a secondary site that I may or may not want, but I think I have to pay to make an offer. It's called like a quick offer or something. I don't know whether I can just contact them. I'm not sure on that. Like I said, very, 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 very brief look, but the GoDaddy one, I can just message them. And I assume that goes right to their GoDaddy account. Maybe it emails them. I'm not actually sure. Uh, like I said, I just took a brief look even at that one cause I just discovered it. So I don't. I'm at a bit of a crossroad. So, like, I'm progressing, but I've never tried to acquire a domain like this before. Uh, and if it was for a client, I would just hire a brokerage service because then I can just tell the client a price, right? Rather than me digging for hours and all the rest of it. But since this is for me and not for a client, I don't know. So, I made progress. I just don't know. I don't know what to do because I want to make a half-decent offer on the thing. But at the same time, I don't want to, like, have a fair bit of that offer be taken by... Like, I don't want to, like, pay almost double or whatever. I'm not going to get into the numbers in brokerage fees as well. Now, there is the whole thing of, like, if you pay them, they may not transfer it to you. And so, the brokerage handles all that and blah, blah, blah. So, like, I'm really kind of on the fence. Maybe I'll try to contact the person and then have, if they do respond, then hire the brokerage to handle the transfer because they'll accept whatever. I don't know. I don't know. So, I'm at a weird crossroads. This is a new... It's a simplistic thing, right? Obviously, it's like, would you like to buy this domain? Yes. Okay. Well, someone else owns it. They may resell it to you or sell it to you. It's pretty simplistic, but I'm just trying to figure out what the best path is because I think I, this is one of those things where I could pay a lot for convenience because it's so simplistic and I could get myself in like sort of a financial hole, not like I'm spending a million dollars or anything, but I get myself into like a financial hole where a bill was supposed to be a hundred. Now it's like 800. 800 so I don't know Uh, that's where I'm at so I don't know if any of you guys have uh, experience with purchasing domains uh, please let me know like please let me know what your experience was whether you suggest a particular brokerage whether you suggest using this like who is trick which I had no idea existed um, for like using specific specific who is Uh, but yeah if anyone has any uh, ideas or whatever uh, please you know let me know Um, I'm not gonna divulge the domain names because I don't want people to go after them (laughs) For the obvious reason, but uh, but yeah, so that's uh, that, that's kind of where I'm at. So if you have anything, like any information on that front, please let me know in our socials, Twitter, whatever, uh, Instagram and all that. But if you're interested and you are uh, – if you're still interested in the show and you want to support us, you want us to make future episodes, you can please check us out and support us on patreon.com slash html all the things. Check out the tiers. Give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on youtube.com/slash/RabbitWorksJavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design on localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchell from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self Made Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. DL4DLFord from dl 4io Bib Hashdash from Nine Block Media on nineblockmedia.com. And Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And we are signing off.
1: You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast Signing off.